0: Listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. Tennille, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this. Are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences.
1: Alex Parsons is the head backcountry guide at Threadbow Resort in Australia. She talks to us today about her passion for the backcountry and how she got started. She has lots of great advice if you're curious about trying backcountry, how fit you have to be, what new experiences are on offer in Threadbow. We touch on Nozawa Onsen in Japan the 2022 snow season and much much more. Hey Alex how are you going?
0: Hi I am so good thank you so much for having me on pleasure to be here.
2: Yeah we feel a bit thrilled it's your birthday today and we're having a chat. Thank you
0: so much yeah I know it's one year older but no excited it's a nice thing to do on my birthday to be part of a podcast so thanks.
2: Yeah, pleasure, pleasure. So, Alex, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, why you're with us on our podcast today. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm here to chat all things backcountry. So I am the head backcountry guide at Threadbow. I'm super passionate about backcountry in general, so I do it also in all my spare days off pretty much um and then yeah I think I've been sort of an advocate for women in the backcountry and women in snowboarding and the snow world in general for a while now um, because I used to be an instructor before I was a backcountry guide and so yeah I mean I've been running around in the scene and also doing articles and filming and media and stuff for a little while now
2: how do you get into backcountry in threadboat like you're out of threadboat so you started as a ski instructor first yeah
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I started at Threadbow again um, in 2015 as an instructor, but my first ever backcountry experience was actually in Japan um, in the 2014-15 season, so before I started at Fredbo. um, And it was purely by coincidence, and I'd just been riding in bounds and I'd made some friends, some of which were backcountry guides, and they literally saw me in a restaurant and were like, Alex, we have some spots in this tour. We'd love for you to join. Um, and I was like, no way. There's no way I'm good enough to do a backcountry tour. And before I knew it, they were like literally packing like shovels and probes and all these things. I didn't know what they were into a pack for me. Um, and then I, yeah, did my first backcountry tour. And it was sort of off the back of Nozawa Onsen Resort, um, yeah. which you guys might know. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. And it's a gorgeous place. And I I really, like we ran out the end of the trip was like over rice paddies that were covered in snow as the sun was setting just absolutely idyllic um I had this really clear thought of this is what I want to do for the rest of my life um,
1: oh wow that gives me prickles
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It was a really strong feeling and so it's nice for me now to look back on that and you know I've done a bit more backcountry in Japan and I started my Backcountry journey in Australia, and to yeah, genuinely say now that most days of the week, um, I get to do those things and have the great privilege of taking people into the backcountry and giving them similar experiences.
2: Yeah.
1: So, what would a day in the life of when you say you go out in the backcountry talk us through when you wake up and the process and when you come back?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, my role as head guide means that I go in a little bit earlier than most of the guides. So, I tend to be in there about Um, And that sort of half hour time for me is to figure out what is the snowpack doing? What's the weather been doing overnight? To have a look at the conditions and start thinking about what tours we have for that day and where the best places are going to be to ride and where the safest places are too. Like what are the hazards for that day? Um, So we'll look at things like bomb and windy, um, Mountain Safety Collective, we look at their backcountry conditions reports. So I'm also an ambassador for them, and I believe you talked to Craig Shepard recently, who is
2: yeah. amazing. Amazing, yeah. amazing man. Yeah. Amazing
0: man. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So intelligent, gives such, um, yeah, just so much value to the backcountry community here. So we look at their reports and, uh, yeah, formulate a picture of what's going on out there. So our guides come in about 8 o'clock, and then we have a, a discussion about... You know, these are your clients. What are you thinking of doing? This is what's happening out there. And they get a lot of freedom to sort of choose what works for them as well. Um, and then we sort of gear up. We get ready for the day. We go and meet our clients and we have a different range of um, products or tours. So you sort of intro to backcountry tour for people who are really new to it. Um, beyond the boundaries advanced adventure and we have snowshoe tours as well and privates um so we'll take people up lifts get them out of the resort pretty quickly um because you know the backcountry access out from Threadbow is genuinely so easy um and then a couple of tea bars and you're there which is really nice it saves you 700 um vertical meters which i like yeah (laughs) <laughs> true. Yeah, and then we go skinning out. So, yeah, whether it's an intro tour and we'll sort of show you how your gear works and make you feel really comfortable and start to point out some features where you might ride, what to avoid, safety, talk about the weather. Um, yeah, or whether it's sort of getting a bit further out in those more advanced tours and finding good terrain. And we're always trying to teach people about safety in the backcountry. If you haven't used a shovel beacon probe before, we'll do some drills on that. Um, yeah, so lots of uphill, lots of downhill. Have yeah. some nice lunch. Have a little stop. Take some photos and ride back at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, well, it sounds like. How long have you been doing this? From 2015, did you say? Like, a yeah, time? that
0: was my first ever one. Yeah, um, in Japan. And oh, then, sorry,
2: it's Redbo. Sorry, how long? Because it's. Yeah,
0: like, Redbow. So I started in the backcountry team just in 2020. Twenty twenty.
2: Yeah, I was thinking it's like a whole new kind of concept for a mountain to employ someone to take them back country. Is that were you at the startup team for the threadbow backcountry tours or?
0: the threadbow backcountry tours has been running for about five years, but it had a bit of a, a soft opening um and wasn't doing heaps of tours. And honestly the backcountry team and the interest in backcountry has been exploding these past few years. Like we've seen it in other countries um, and now in Australia as well. I think COVID lockdowns have probably had something to do with it. Uh, In general, people want to start exploring and seeing what's out there. So we have just been going from strength to strength. I think our team is about twice the size as it was in 2020. Um, How many on the team there? Uh, So right now we've got 10 on the team. And we used to only have five. I think the other interesting thing is that in 2020, which is not that long ago, I was the only female on the team. And now I'm really excited to say that we have a clean 50-50 split of males and females. So it's something that's really um getting more, yeah getting more popular with females as well.
2: And I'm still well, no, proud of that. You know, back in the day, it was not really a thing that females did, did they? It was like, okay, you just go and you teach the children and yeah. fine over there and you don't need to see what's out there. That's for me. <laughs> <No. laughs> yeah, and
0: I think it's worth saying that it still is male dominated. I think women in general are so much more adventurous now and getting out and there's more representation, which is a huge piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, but I did read a stat recently about Australian backcountry users and 83% are male. So we are still a small group of females, but we're getting a lot more representation. You're getting Facebook groups, social media groups. Um, and, you know, we're doing like backcountry women's days and doing a lot more events to get women out there. And it's it's just going up and up.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I know when we've both got our um, avalanche level one and I remember when I did it with um Adam West and he was saying that when you go out with a female, you're more likely to come home because we just the way our brains think we're we're just that it, it's good, we're a plus to add to any team or any group just because oh, the way we're we here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think we're um quite good at seeing risks everywhere.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> so- <laughs> So, how from 2015 to Japan to now, yeah. how have you helped yourself get, gain more knowledge within the backcountry? Because it, I feel like that is something that a lot of people are not doing. They don't actually yeah. educate themselves enough about how that country can be dangerous or how it can be fun. So, sure. so what's the process? Yeah. So, what's the process? Yeah, that I hate
0: to say, but it's it's a really common thing in Australia to think, you know, avalanches don't exist and you can just go and frolic about out there. Um, and most of the time you'll get away with it. But unfortunately, avalanches absolutely happen out here and sliding on ice, or slide for life, as Craig says, absolutely happens out here. Yeah. Um, and people do die. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's absolutely something that I encourage everyone to still up in. Um, so for me personally, you know, I started... 2015 and then I'm someone who loves to do qualifications um so you know did my yeah right they're fun they're great and you they're empowering as well especially for women um so I did my AST1 in Japan um I did my outdoor education cert my cert 3 which specialized in backcountry guiding in 2018 I did an avalanche course in New Zealand as well um and then I am planning to do my Operation 1 this year in Australia, which is the first time that course has ever run in Australia. We're getting someone out. Or when I say we, sort of um, Mountain Safety Collective and Alpine Access are working together to, to bring someone out here, which is really exciting. We'll just raise the bar in general. Um, but, yeah, also did my Wilderness First Aid and have done just like a range of courses um, in a few different countries, which has been good because the Australian – pathway is different to those in New Zealand and into Canada Um, they have really clear pathways in Australia we don't have that yet it's something that we're sort of working on um, to make it more like across the board like what qualifications do people need Mm -hmm. to become a guide because for a long time. It's just been, you know, you'd go out in the backcountry and you can be a guide and that's it.
2: Well, you kind of went to wilderness sport, didn't you? Like down in Ginderbar <laughs> and went, Can you give me a map and you know, hmm. and for yourself? And it wasn't due to him, but it was just yeah. that that's what we were also kind of, I think the big, you know, Fred Bo and the and the perisher, they kind of went, Oh, you can't you, you know, don't don't hike up our heels. You have to use our lips to get out there. So mm. that was a tough kind of start to backcountry. And I think we all, we all grew up going, oh, you're not know, allowed out there. It's kind of a bit scary yeah. out there. But now that it's accessible and the conversation is being had, it's great that we actually got, Treble has started a backcountry tour, com- tour, tour company. Like I don't know if Perisher will do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one. Sometimes resorts see backcountry as the enemy because you're yeah. not resort spending money, right? Exactly. But um, I think Threbo's got a really good model um, that, yeah, we use the lifts and we know there's great stuff out there and it is so close. And it means that you can do backcountry in like a, a safe way with qualified guides and that you have all those um like resources nearby, you know, like you have the medical center there, you have patrols you can come back in and they can help you, You've got your restaurants and we sort of sort things out and we're lucky that um the program's also sponsored by the North Face. So you know, your gear's taken care of when you intro tour, you get your pack with um your shovel beacon and probe for the day. Oh wow. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're quite supported in that way, which is really nice.
2: Did they have an area at Threadboat yet where you can do, you know, like you go to the Canadian resorts and you can pra- you can practice your um beacons? Is that you think that's gonna happen in Australia? Great
0: question. There is one in Hotham and they're looking for a place in New South Wales to build one. Um, I'm not sure where. I would love for it to be at Uh, (laughs) Threadfoe.
1: That's what what Craig was saying about the the, the Mountain Safety Collective, that um, they're hoping to build an avalanche practice place and uh, we would love it to be in sydney that would be fabulous for all the sydney <laughs> so. people to be you know i you know we need all the practice we can get really don't we? absolutely
0: i think it would be a great thing um yeah so personally it would be great for our team and for people like so many people really do head out the back of thredbo because they've got so much good terrain and you know you can start pretty easy in that ram range area yeah. um, and then you can really build it up to more advanced because you can go out to mount because the Oyster Leather Barrel Creek, your Twin Valleys, like there's a lot of terrain to access out there, so I think it makes sense um, to have that avalanche training center there.
2: Um, mm-hmm. but you
0: know it just depends, and I'm sure there's other candidates as well. Yeah,
2: yeah. So when, when if I was to take a beginner kind of backcountry course, do, uh, sorry, firstly I'll take a step back. Do people overestimate their skill? <laughs> do they say <laughs> I've been side country in Japan? I know what I'm doing. Take me out this way or yeah, is that the cool. st- first
0: step yeah so i mean intro to backcountry tours is absolutely the first step and do people overestimate i think sometimes right, maybe it's not a question of overestimating their own abilities but underestimating australia's backcountry conditions
2: yeah <laughs> because incredible. that's not so true
0: yeah because <laughs> we get a lot of ice um we get yeah. weird things like breakable crust and you know like the snow is just so variable um, and I think it can really take people by surprise that when you start to roll onto that edge, whether on skis or a snowboard, you expect it to be sort of consistent because that's what we're more used to. Um, and it, you can just get anything out there. You know the huge, like cauliflower-sized ice chunks that you get every now and then. I'm probably not selling it, but this does.
2: <laughs> we it's do. Good good it's real, though. It's it's, it's great because. That's what it is out in the backcountry, you know. Um, How's your access to if someone was to get injured? How do you work that out in the backcountry? Do you have ski patrol that can come out, you know? Because I guess the fear is, is that if you're out in backcountry, ski patrol will, like, enter at your own risk. Who's going to come and help me? Like, how yeah, do you work with
0: so it It's technically out of their jurisdiction. Um, But having said that, if it's... Like, we are quite close, so if it's not that far away from the boundaries, um, they can normally come say hello. But at the same time, all oh. our backcountry guides have their first aid, and we do practice for those scenarios. So if people are out not in a tour, I mean, it's they can't be calling Threbo ski patrol. It has to be a triple zero call if they really need help. So we sort of we divide it into three levels of emergencies, so, you know, if it's something that we can just, we have these massive first aid kits that we can just apply first aid and return back to the resort and sort of finish the tour, um, that's great, or even continue the tour if it's something small, that's sort of your level one. Uh, if it's level two, you're sort of needing to either evacuate to closer to the boundary zone where patrol can help us um, or can we self, yeah, evacuate out of that whole situation and that might... Be sort of like small breaks and contusions and things. That means that person can't continue the tour and they do need to be sort of looked after and sorted there. Um, And then, yeah, your sort of level three stuff, which is that you're probably not going to be moving anywhere at all. You're probably going to have to make a bit of a camp in that area um, and get emergency services
1: in. Do you use RECO at all in there? No, we don't.
0: So we have a sat phone and we use spot GPS trackers. Um, So we have those, and the good thing about the spot GPS trackers is is that we can send different messages um, for different levels of emergencies and say, "Yo, we need some support." And that's the thing—like having Threbo there, we have multiple people, like whether it's another guide, whether it's myself as head guide if I'm doing an office day, who can come out and support. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah. But in general, for other people who are not on tour, this really want to emphasize that, yeah, it's it's a call to triple zero if you're really in a dire situation and hopefully you carry those things so that you can look after your team. You know, you should have that first aid kit and the first aid training, um, Mm -hmm. things like splints and stuff like that, yeah.
2: We were talking about this before. Do you think because Threadbow is so accessible to the backcountry that they should have maybe, you know, someone go, hey, before you step out, have you got your probe? Have you got your shovel? Because the weather changes so fast in Australia, like ridiculously fast. Is yeah. that anyone is that whose responsibility would that fall? And it can't really can it? it? can't really be a job of anyone's because threadbow don't want to take responsibility for it. So you should be able to yeah,
0: so it's like once you're outside of like the threadboat area, and I mean like uh, people who are selling tickets do the best to tell people this is the weather like are you sure you're prepared and i've had those conversations with people too you know like guest services will be like hey there's someone that wants to camp we had this just the other week um you know the weather's looking really bad can you have a chat to them i'm like yeah absolutely I'm like, look guys you know the weather's looking like 100k winds like where do you want to camp and honestly See that doesn't seem like a great idea. Try something else here. That's um so we do yeah, we have that I guess it's like we, we just want to keep people safe. We do feel responsible for people but when we're, we're not at the end of the day yeah. and they are going out of Threadbow boundary line into national parks. Mm. So at that stage they should have done the national parks trip intention. Yeah. Um, and sort of be self-sufficient and you know letting people know where they're going and making sure that they have like a sat phone or a gps tracker of some sort and then it is um, on them and also if they really need it search and rescue but i just don't want to say like we shouldn't be relying on search and rescue um, yeah. we should be prepared to self-evacuate
2: yeah yeah I, I didn't even know i'm really happy to hear that that they, the lift you know that's service people at Threadbow are headed in, hey, hold on, maybe we should call someone else in here and have a further conversation. Yeah, that,
0: they're really good at it. Yeah. And they do care for sure. Yeah.
2: So with your talk, give us a like, so if I'm a beginner, do I go, okay, I I can ski all of Threadbow Do you do you have to ski all of every lift line in Threadbow to be able to go out the backcountry? Is that one of your prerequisites or no?
0: We tend to say strong intermediate to advance. Yep. So we say like, you know, if you know, for this absolute, like, introduction tour, if you are extremely comfortable on blue runs and you've done, like, a little bit of off piece here and there, you've done some trees and variable terrain, um, then we're happy for you to come onto this intro tour because we're not going to go to particularly steep terrain, right? It's a lot about learning, how your gear works, um, safety, all of that sort of stuff. Okay,
2: yeah. If okay. you ski a lot of backcountry in Canada mm-hmm. and you have ski a lot of backcountry in um, Japan do they tend to come to you to find the better stuff because i you you've got locals knowledge
0: yeah I feel like we still get people that um have been overseas they'll often come to us for privates being like hey we're new to this area and even though we have some skills and we understand our skinning techniques we know our setups like we just don't know this area and how Australia works. And, you know, as you guys know, Australian backcountry is so unique and so, yeah, strange Um, if you've come from places like Japan or Canada. And so they do come to us for that local knowledge for sure.
2: Australia mm. is really strange. Yeah. I worked in Charlotte's for a long time and we used to go and hike out to Kosyosko, like because it was off days off. You know? And it was just such false, like, rollers all the time. You're like, we're nearly there. And you're like, oh, yeah. my God. Another mountain and then you get to that mountain, you're like, oh, there's still another mountain to get to, you know. It's like,
0: Absolutely. It's and right. I think endurance is such a huge part of Australia's backcountry. Like we don't always have the vertical, we do in some places, but um, but yeah, it's like you're in for a big day in a lot of the uh the tours that you do by yourself. <laughs>
2: Yeah, how far do you go out? Do you ever, does anyone say, hey, let's go, I want to go to Cozzy for the day? Is that a tour that you offer or
0: that? We can absolutely um for private tours and that's something that a lot of people want to do, like tick off that bucket list adventure. Um, And we do tend to do it more as a private you know, um, just because we want to check in, like are these people ready for, like it's a big day for sure. Yeah, um, yeah so we'll do stuff like that. We'll go as far as sort of, I'd say Cozzy Ostro is probably the furthest. That we'd go um, in our tours, but yeah, like Leather Barrel Creek um, as well. But I mean, that whole Rams Head Range area um, and like yeah. Bogong Creek and Dead Horse Gap, like there's so much terrain in there, um, and that's great for if there's bad weather too. <laughs> yeah, oh, so when cool.
2: you drop down into Dead Horse Gap, do you get do you how do you get back to Threadboat? Do you have to walk back or do you get organized transfers? Or do you-
0: so, most of the time we're coming up and we're staying on that sort of Bogong Creek section of. Dead horse gap, and then we don't go all the way down to the bottom most of the time. We're looking into potentially doing pickups soon, but I just can't talk too much about that yet. <laughs> okay, it's
2: exciting if you did. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, if I do, I'll let you know. Okay, sure. <laughs> you guys can be the first ones that can try it out with me. Okay. Oh, that would be awesome.
2: So, <laughs> um, I mean, we
1: Tanil and I have both been talking about the initiatives Threadbo's had this season. So impressive. Just generally, like a lot of the new stuff going on. Can you talk a bit about some of those things? Yeah, for sure. So um, we're bringing in some new things that are
0: very exciting. So one of which for the first time ever, we're doing AST1 courses. So we've paired with Alpine Access uh Peter and Dave Herring helped run that. Um, and, yeah, we're going to be running AST1 courses out of Threadbow, which is extremely exciting because we are very committed to getting people skilled up and being safe in the backcountry. Um, so that's awesome. The other cool that's, one is...
2: That's Canadian-based? Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So can you run that yourself or is it going to be you're going to get that guy to come in and do it for you?
0: Yeah, at this stage we're going to have um, Dave and Peter and their crew coming in. And we're sort of partnering with them and then long-term we might be able to sort of have our guides skilled up in that sort of talent of taking SD-1s as well. But we'll see where we go with that. So, yeah, we're excited for that one. Um, And then the other one is Women's Days. So we've got two Women's Days in August, so an introduction to backcountry um, for all ladies with female guides and also Beyond the Boundaries, which is that sort of intermediate level. So that's August 14th and August 21, and it's sort of designed that if you do the intro, um, then you can come back the next weekend and do the Beyond the Boundaries tour.
2: Awesome. I feel like Threadbow is getting ahead of the game. Like they are starting to really take on, you know, really understand the skier. (laughs) Not just a long lunch, but they're kind of taking on, offering to go up to the top of the hill you know if you want to have that 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 experience they're
0: giving these signature experiences yeah signature
2: experiences there we go I'm so excited
0: I've actually booked in for one myself uh which is like the sunrise session I'm genuinely so excited so what we're doing and you know, obviously I'm not for marketing, but this is just from what I've been reading. But so you catch a cat up early in the morning, you go up to Carol's, the highest lifted point in Australia, get some photos, watch the sunrise, which will be amazing. And then you're at Eagle's Nest, the highest restaurant for breakfast. And I hear they do some delicious champagne um, in the morning with your breakfast before you get first tracks, like before the lifts are even running. So, oof. Wow. <laughs>
2: Come back. Yeah. Really so do you think further on from that you could probably run a tour off the back of that, yeah. like see the sunrise and keep going out the back? Back- oh,
0: potentially I mean I'd be into it I'm a morning person
2: so uh, uh, classic
0: <laughs> backcountry sunrise or even a backcountry sunset I think would be so cool
1: sunset would be good too. what's your
2: risk management like talking about a backcountry sunset I mean it sounds amazing but I can't imagine getting people the. Well,
1: that's, that is something that we absolutely have to think about
0: it's like well oh, yeah. what's us uh, you know get the qualifications make sure that people are qualified and that you have access to resources um to help people out so you know do you have to get patrol there earlier which is the case with these sunrise sessions you have to have patrol there earlier steal people that are there earlier yeah. um and there's that side of things
2: so pre-covid were you back-to-back seasons everywhere were i was you? yeah yeah um,
0: so i think i'm on season 13 now and I, I think I did almost like seven years without a summer. I mean, you guys must have done something similar, right? Like, you don't see years. the for
2: ages. <laughs> 10 years without a summer. There no. you go. <laughs> <laughs> just about to go back to a no summer again with uh living in Canada from December through to March so that'll oh, be that's exciting yeah yeah it'll be exciting yeah the mountains never leave you so it's like so you you sound like you've got a little bit of a Canadian accent is that am I how does I mean
0: you've picked up on something and I get this a lot and you know I'll take it as a compliment people like put snow and Canada together like are you Canadian um but what you're picking up is that I Actually, started the school system in Hawaii. Yeah, so I did kindergarten, year one, and year two in Hawaii, and it must have been just that little formative time. And that accent has just clung on to me. My sister's two years older, and she doesn't have it, and I do. And if I talk to Canadians, like I talk to Craig
2: um, from MSC, and it just gets stronger. I'm like, oh,
0: this is so embarrassing. <laughs> right. yeah, it
2: is true, though, isn't it? You kind of get the twang back, don't you? As soon yeah. you that accent, you're like all of a sudden you're longer, elongating your words. <laughs> sure
0: yeah that's it i'm like god i can tell but um no that's where it is and i think just also traveling a fair bit and i only did one season in canada um but yeah bouncing around in in whistler which i'm sure you guys have been to yeah
2: yeah yeah So the majority of your backcountry experience in japan when you were doing the guiding
0: um so that was mostly nozawa onsen okay Yeah. yeah
2: so so tell us how you got into that as a i mean it's a male dominant sport over there definitely so they just chose you like you said at the beginning or it was pretty random it was just talking to people
0: um and then I I also sort of got into it through doing marketing and media so when I was doing some filming and I was very lucky at the time uh, one of the really great guides was also female and she was like, oh, well, if you want to come and learn some more, uh, if you want to do some filming. And so i do a few trips with her um, from the media marketing perspective and sort of mm-hmm. learnt in that strange way. But then, yeah, before that was 2018 um, and that's when I did my guiding, my first guiding qualification was in Australia and mostly at the back of Threadbone Um,
1: Do you have any advice for women who want, to get into the backcountry and haven't or they're a bit nervous or yeah. uh, they're curious. <laughs> curious. <laughs> um,
0: I mean, I'm always going to say start by taking a tour or going with someone that knows. Um, the backcountry scene here, at least in Jindabyne and Threadbone Parish area, is growing and growing. So there is a really solid group of women that do backcountry um, and a lot of them are highly skilled and qualified. So jump in with them. There's a, a Facebook group, uh, like Women in the Backcountry. There's an Instagram page that some of my friends run. So start chatting to people. Uh, it would be great if you did an intro tour with a company, get your AST1, and that really helps to empower you and feel better about what you're doing. The other huge thing I would say is work on your fitness. Like I cannot stress this enough. Um, the fitter and stronger that you are and that you feel, the more confident that you'll be out there the less likely that you are to have injuries. I really think that strength training in particular for women is incredibly important for us to be able to sort of go the distance. And, you know, like studies show that women are incredibly good at endurance sports, and this is an endurance sport, so don't be deterred. You can absolutely do it. You have the body for it. You have the mind for it. Um, Yeah, we are absolutely designed to be out there. The
1: question I have that relates to me is that I'm really curious. It's more of a time thing for me because, you know, obviously we've got kids that need ferrying around, but I would like to do some stuff in the backcountry hopefully this season. But I'm looking at my um, my skis and boots and my bindings and my basic, my setup. And I know when I did my AST1, I used my husband's um, skis with the bindings because they take my boot. That doesn't require the special the pin right yeah yeah would you would you say that and and so I would probably lean towards that again is that what is commonly equipment wise are you seeing a lot of that out there are you seeing both the special boots and the pin system is there a mix of things is that okay yeah so absolutely going to the next level of that kind of thing
0: yeah, yeah I think anything that gets you out there is um Like you start with whatever gear you've got or what you can get your hands on. And once you start to learn more and try out different bindings, like some people love pin bindings and some people don't, Um, and that's so fine. And I I wouldn't go out and sort of rush out to buy your first split board or your first pair of touring skis until you have a bit of a go, figure out if it's for you. Like you can absolutely rent from different places and see how it works. Um, I didn't buy my first split board for ages. I just, Yeah. yeah, I rented and I tried different brands um, and didn't rush in. And I'm actually really glad because splitboards and turning skis are really expensive.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that's what it comes down to as well. It's like, I, I wouldn't want that to be a preventative for anyone to, you know, when when you start asking the question about backcountry and people saying you need special boots that take pin and different mm. bindings, I wouldn't want that to prevent. It's not going to prevent me. It's a matter of time. When can I do that? And all the rest of it. I guess I'm kind of looking at it from a point of view of like, that's what I'm going to use if I can get myself out there. And Mm -hmm. is that okay?
0: Yes. I'm going to say yes to that. Yeah, you get a lot of people asking, um, you know, do I have to buy a split board straight away or can I get out on snowshoes with my board on my back? And like ideally if you're doing like an intro tour yeah it'd be nice to learn how to use a split board and everything but if you're just getting out there like absolutely grab some snowshoes like figure out if it's for you like get the vibe go see some beautiful scenes um and just like realize how everyone loves backcountry like it's Mm. quiet it's beautiful there's gorgeous trees covered in ice like just get the feeling first you don't have to have the best year in the world to enjoy it
1: hmm. well it's a bit like all sports isn't it you hear that with people with golf it's like I'm the kind of person I don't play golf that often but I'm certainly take whatever and give it a go yeah um and some people say I don't want to get into golf until I have the right equipment and all the rest of it you know I mean it's not a safety matter for golf like it is in <laughs> country. but yeah. um you know it's
2: a uh, shame if that's preventing people I, I feel like the community is really welcoming because sometimes a ski community isn't welcoming for people that are coming and not living in a ski town, yeah. like speaking from experience who's lived in a ski town for 10 years, you know, amongst the traps. So, but it feels like your groups that you've got in the women in backcountry, that feels like it's a really welcoming, so someone from Sydney can go, oh, listen, I have, I, I don't have a lot of experience, mm. can you help me out? And I think that's brilliant that you, that your, your friend is leading this community in the backcountry because that's, number one, safety. And number two, feeling welcome, you know, and then you're getting the, you're getting educated the right way as opposed to not feeling welcomed and you just kind of go, oh, I'll never try it. But- yeah, that's it. I really
0: genuinely think that backcountry is for everyone, like whatever level that you're coming in at it, like you can just start, you don't even have to ride, just grab some snowshoes and go for a walk and learn about the area and you can go you know, just past through a boundary line where you can still see the bridge, you know, and you can still get that feeling and understand what it's all about. And then you can sort of build your confidence, get your group together uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, step it up gradually. Like I'm definitely not an advocate for people going all in and following people into the hardest zones because that's how you get turned off it. Right. If it's too yeah. advanced, it's too much.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like taking the beginner up to the top of front Valley, you know, or yeah. take- up to gun like Yeah, a-
0: yeah. High noon if you're like
2: the first time on skis or aboard, a classic, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's good that there's an option for these guys to trial now with you guys, and you know, and the other people in Gendervine who offer the the tours as well. But there is lots of options that are welcoming now, which is great for females because sometimes your hubby, hubby doesn't want to do that. Sometimes you got the we've f- all got our own interests.
1: <laughs> well, it's, I mean, the fact <laughs> of the matter is, like you say, like women are getting more and more active, which is great. I mean, Neil and I are in our forties and there's let's say it's like a a pyramid like the older you get the less women that are doing the stuff you know like and so yeah if if we don't go with our husbands or with each other or you know it's it's good that there's other females to do it with
0: absolutely it's actually really interesting I find some of our most common demographics is older couples that come on our backcountry tours mm-hmm. um and i i really appreciate that it's they kind of like you know we've skied for a while we've done a lot of inbounds maybe we've traveled overseas and we hear about this australian backcountry and like they're talented skiers and snowboarders and they want to do this thing and explore together and genuinely like And it just blows their mind. They come out across the ridge and they sort of get over and see the full main range covered in white. And they're like, whoa, we never had any idea that this was all out here. So it's good for everyone.
1: Yeah. It's nice also to know that you can come out of the years where you're running your kids around to sport where we are now and there's all of that to look forward to that's what really excites me you've got a bit more time on your hands and things so that's something I think is really important for women especially
2: getting back to the fitness you know what's a program would you say like start six weeks out for these ladies that want to explore and you know I mean they all kind of go to the gym and have a little bit of a let's go do pilates but you really need to have strength in your legs so.
0: absolutely and your core as well
2: yeah, so is can you point us to a direction of where you would go and get this information from? Is it or just go out there and have a look? Is there a favorite that you use to get your fitness for the ski? What, what about Sammy Kennedy Sims Snow Ready
1: every Tuesday, oh, four oh, o'clock? Nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
0: look, it, it is up to the individual and it's like whatever you're gonna stick at, whatever you enjoy, like. For me, starting out incidental exercise, so exercise that's like fun and doing like paddle boarding and hiking, um, was really good for me before I started doing a gym program because not everyone's into the gym. But, uh, and the more fit that you are, so the further you can start out from the season, the better it's going to be. Like, I genuinely believe that, uh, you know, the fitter you are, the more you're going to enjoy it, you won't suffer as much. <laughs> and I think getting like an even mix of cardio and strength is really good. Cardio is something that you can. It's going to make your day better if you have better cardio because you're not just going to be like wheezing and having a terrible time. But I tend to prioritize strength over cardio for me because I'm doing it a lot. I'm carrying a heavy pack with gear and first aid yet and repair kit, um, also crampons and stuff. And then you're on like uneven terrain on slippery surfaces, you know, and so having that strength is going to mean that you can – Go further, be stronger, less injuries. I think that's really important. So I did a strength and conditioning program before this season. So with um precision training. Um, yeah. and I'm feeling so good. I started lifting barbells, doing like proper lifting, so fun. was yeah, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> you know, of us from Threadbow that started it, a whole bunch of the guest Services girls, and we just have been living for it. Yeah. Um so I like, grab some friends, do some strength and conditioning. Do some cardio, literally just walking up hills, like because that's kind of what backcountry is, right? It's like you need
2: some strength and you kind of walk up hills a lot. So do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got like a strange question off the back of that, but do you find if you walk the hills in summer, you're less fearful of them in winter because you know that the, the you know like the terrain then what's underneath the snows? <laughs> you're like oh, it's not really as steep as what I did because I walked down it. So because sometimes people get that fear of like ah, I can't slide down that.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It's like that familiarisation thing, right? It's like I've been here before and that sort of takes some of the fear away if you've already been in that zone. And it's something like I've found myself. So I was head guide for the summer hiking program as well. And starting to learn the areas from a summer perspective has been really good for me and made me feel like, oh, I absolutely know every nook and cranny here. And just like a random side note, I think it's really interesting to see the place in summer and to know that there's like a whole ecosystem going on underneath there you know we've got a little mountain pygmy possums that are critically endangered and our you know our southern corroboree frogs it's like 50 left in the wild and they live in sphagnum moss and there's just so many endangered plants and animals that have their own ecosystems under the snow and I think it's something that's important to remember when we're going into these places right you know if there's a windswept ridge or if there's you know it's spring and you can see some moss coming up near the creeks like let's be quite um careful and you know obviously leave no trace policies and you have to do the classic don't poop in the backcountry or carry your poop out like there's a lot that you we have to think about in those areas
2: yeah cool. yeah cool how as well protect oh, our- oh yeah yeah are you close i would imagine that you'd be closely near because it's still
0: yeah so it's something yeah, that threat works with pow and um, me personally have been starting to talk to the Australian branch of PAL um, and having a chat with them and we might do some stuff this winter. It's still sort of early days for the Australian side of things um, here. But, yeah, absolutely, we're
1: going to start working um, together a bit more. Yeah. yeah I, we interviewed um, Josh from
2: PAL um, two seasons ago, wasn't it? I was like running. I just feel like it's really nice. I feel like it, it was also, it was always, a, that country was always untouchable in <laughs> Australia. It was always, an, you did it overseas, you know, because people associate backcountry with hilly. I yeah. Think. You know, they don't associate it with let's get out there and just really work the mountain and love the mountains. And I, I just am so thrilled that, you know, that there is a, it's now growing in Australia, but it's growing with education.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad about that too. I think for a long time it's been like a, a small group of sort of locals that really know the area. Going out, which is great, but now it's becoming that little bit more accessible and people are realizing, well, you know, with the right sort of pathway, anyone can go out there and do it safely. And We're starting to, yeah, bring all those qualifications up and get that sort of across the board that there is like a standard of qualifications happening in Australia. Um, and yeah, we're really excited to be a part of that getting more guides, more qualifications, teaching people the right way and building good habits. That's something that I remember from my guiding course, my instructor at the time was like, you know, I'm here to help build good habits. And I think that's so important for the backcountry.
1: Thank you so much for um, speaking to us today. Oh, so welcome. Thank you for the good chats. I appreciate just being able to yarn about my favourite topic.
2: Just, just before we finish up, just tell us what I'm going to expect in August if I do, if I do the females backcountry um, tour for the weekends. Well, you can expect an excellent time with female
0: guys, <laughs> all female <laughs> crew as well. Um, yeah, they're going to be super fun. So if it's the intro, we're going to show you in a really supportive environment like what your gear is, how to use it. Um, and take you out there and learn about the area. My goal in the intro tours is to make you feel safe and like you understand the area enough to go out there by yourself afterwards. Ah. The basic understanding to go into that same area. And then your beyond the boundaries is to have a red time, go out further, explore more, learn more zones and get a lot more downhill and just rip about with a bunch of awesome ladies.
2: Wow. I love it. I mean. If I can finish. Okay. Yeah, I'll see you there. <laughs> I'll be there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds really amazing. What What's your limit? Do you have a limit of people or no? Like, do you? Have- uh,
0: we actually have a max of five people. I think we might be doing two groups for the women's though because it's going to be very popular. But our general tour size is a max of five, which is quite small, really.
2: Nice. Hmm. Yeah. It's no, quite I feel great. really safe in that. Yeah, market.
0: it's nice. Everyone gets individual attention, which is what you want, right? Yeah.
2: yeah. Yep, yeah, exactly. And if you do a private, can you have a private group of the same people or is it one-on-one private? Or can You, yeah, have you a-
0: can grab your friends or your family and do a private that way for sure. How many yeah. people in the private? So privates, um, it really depends. So, you know, we can do more than five. We can do less than five. We can do one person. Um, with privates, it's very tailored. So we just get people to send through an email to us and then we'll figure it out, like whether it's possible. And obviously, we're not going to do like a huge group. But um, if we can put on two guides to
2: make it a slightly bigger group than five, we can do that. Yeah. Mm. And where do we find you? Do you just go through Threadbow Office or do you have your own? Are you a part, separate part? So physically
0: we're in the Guest Services building. Yep. Um, so, yeah, when you go into the VT side of Guest Services, I should say, the Valley Terminal where Cosiosteo Chair is, we're in there. We've got a little office space there, which is really nice. Um, but, yeah, when it comes to online, jump into the Threadbow website uh and then you go like events and activities and then there's backcountry tours and you can have a good read of all our different tours there and um yeah but you can also find our email on there which usually comes through to me or my manager um who is an awesome woman as well and loves getting to backcountry so yeah and it's a really cool team environment um there that I'm very happy to be
2: a part of. Well you're a fab ambassador for it. Okay <laughs> <laughs> that's because I care you know <laughs> <laughs> we awesome. can we can hear your passion. We've
1: got one last question to ask you. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to ski in the world?
0: Oh, I mean, part of my heart still lives on that backcountry run in Nozawa Onsen, I must say. Like, Nozawa is a beautiful, beautiful place. If you, I mean, I know you guys know it, but for your listeners, um, it's a really traditional little Japanese town and it has these beautiful hot springs that are free because it's a hot spring town. And so yeah, I think I have so many beautiful memories of riding through the trees there and Powell days and whether it's backcountry or on peace with friends and then finishing your day and coming for a good old soak in a hot spring, I feel like that is still one of my favorite places to ride.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I can I'm visualizing it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can feel that hot spring now. <laughs> I can, at least, yeah. And how good is the snow down there already this year for you guys? Like, wow.
0: Oh my gosh, it's been the best opening in over 20 years. We've had over a meter of snow, it's the best. But it means that the backcountry is like filled in already.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's okay, though. That's good. <laughs> you can get across the Snowy Creek. Oh no, there's a bridge now. God, I, have to, I used to have to walk across it up in my boots to get to <laughs> There's a bridge now. <laughs> Not enough. Oh, amazing, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Alex. We really appreciate your time.
0: Thank, thank you. you so much. Pleasure to be here.
1: Thanks, girls. Hope to see you out there. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au. For more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snowlight. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.